From the Great Charmerton District Talking Newspaper Association, hello and welcome to Grapevine. This is Volume 41, Number 22, for week ending Friday the 4th of June, 2021. This week's news includes two large fires cause major damage... We report the sad passing of three well-known local figures. On a happier note, Galston gets a new fun park. And of course we bring you the latest local Covid details. Hi, I'm Graham, your presenter. And joining me this week is Desney, your newsreader, who also remembers 1951's major event and takes a look at the telly. However... The details on a town centre fire headlines, the first part of the news. Hello everyone, this is Desney, your reader for this week. And it's good to be back with you for the first June edition of Grapevine. After apparently the wettest May on record, the bank holiday weekend and then the first few days of June have at last brought us some sunshine. I hope you've made the most of the good weather though, as the week is due to end with the possibility of showers. Seven-hour fire causes extensive damage to King Street shop. A Great Yarmouth shop has been extensively damaged after firefighters battled for seven hours to quell a blaze. Several crews were called to King Street on Thursday evening after the fire broke out at the CX Video Game and Technology shop. They were called at 7.48pm and spent much of the night working, wearing breathing apparatus and using main and hose reel jets to put it out. The stop message was received at 2.48am and the last pump left the scene at around 4am, a spokesperson for Norfolk Fire and Rescue said. Another crew went back to the scene at 6.30am on Friday to check on the scene, but all was well when they arrived. The spokesperson said no one had been injured in the blaze. He added it was too early to tell what had caused the fire, which eyewitnesses said started in the shop and also moved into the subway store next door. Drone footage taken from above the building shows smoke billowing into the skies above the town, showing the scale of the fire. A group of onlookers can be seen behind the cordon at the end of King Street while firefighters carried out their work. One eyewitness, Jack Ellis, said he saw the smoke from the blaze from close to the river. He said a large crowd of onlookers had gathered and that there was a heavy emergency services presence in the area. Mr Ellis said it definitely looked serious from the way the firefighters were rushing around. I saw smoke flowing out from the shop entrance and all of the windows above. The Norfolk and Suffolk Roads and Armed Policing Team said units from Acle had been assisting the fire service on the scene. The shop in question is the distinctive white-tiled former Boots the Chemist store near Victoria Arcade opposite the end of Regent Road. 
According to their website, CEX was founded in London in 1992. They have stores in the UK, Spain, Ireland, India, Australia, Portugal, Netherlands, Mexico, Poland and the Canaries. They buy, sell and exchange a range of technology and entertainment products. Man glassed and police called to large fight over bank holiday. Police have reported that a man was glassed and a brawl broke out in town over the bank holiday weekend. Norfolk Police received 14 emergency 999 calls about alcohol-related antisocial behaviour and disorder between 9pm on Saturday and 2am on Sunday, stretching police resources to the maximum across the county. In Yarmouth, a man suffered a serious head injury after being glassed at a venue on Marine Parade. Police attended just before 1.20am on Sunday, May the 30th, and a 20-year-old man was arrested in connection with the incident and released on bail until June the 23rd while inquiries continue. Meanwhile, across the other end of town before this, a large fight broke out. Officers attended the brawl in Broad Row, Great Yarmouth, just after midnight, where four people, aged 35, 36, 39 and 40, were arrested on suspicion of a fray. All were questioned in custody and released under investigation while inquiries continue. Yarmouth was busy over bank holiday weekend. A bird's eye picture showed how busy Great Yarmouth was over the bank holiday weekend. The photo, captured by drone photographer Matthew Collins for his aerial shotsuk Instagram page, shows a long line of traffic along the seafront, stretching from beyond the big wheel to the pleasure beach. The Golden Mile was busy with people from home and away as a combination of half-term and sunshine brought holidaymakers and locals to the resort. For many people, it was the first time they had been able to reunite with their families and the sunny weather made the occasion even more brilliant. The weekend was also a welcome boost for seafront traders who were closed this time last year with a sense now of making hay while the sun shines. A grapevine member who regularly travels north along the seafront from South Yarmouth commented, On Saturday afternoon it was really good to see the seafront looking busy. Most car parking spaces were taken as far as Salisbury Road and both sides of Marine Parade were fairly much crowded. In spite of the temperature being on the chilly side, the crowds had braved the afternoon with shorts and short-sleeved shirts much in evidence. Here's hoping for a successful summer season. Great Yarmouth residents evacuate homes as former care home is hit by fire. Once again, families were woken in the early hours and forced out onto the street with their young children and pets as a blaze raged at a former care home. Abbeville Lodge in Acle New Road, Great Yarmouth, 
closed in 2019 and has since seen a string of fires prompting urgent calls for something to be done. In the early hours of Wednesday, June the 2nd, 40 firefighters from seven crews spent the hours before daylight battling the fire at the back of the site, close to a terrace of homes. Nicola Davis described how her husband Trevor was watching a movie when he heard bangs and popping outside. Seeing the flames, he moved the family car, which was parked metres from where the blaze had taken hold. The couple, including their two young daughters and 13-year-old son, were evacuated along with the whole of School Road back who stood wrapped in blankets at the end of the street for over an hour. Mrs Davis said flames caught an overhanging tree close to her home of 15 years and almost reached power lines. She said frustration and anger were mounting in the street at the lack of action to tackle the problem building which was being used by homeless people and older teens. It was very scary, she said. The tree was alight and the car was there. It needs to be demolished. Meanwhile, Inez Diaz said she was woken by a loud knock on the door at around 1.30am and had to gather up her two-year-old son and rush along the street to safety. She said living so close to the derelict building meant living in fear and that her young son had been traumatised by the atmosphere of urgency and panic. It's a constant worry, she said. You never know when you go to sleep if it could go up in flames. What's next? Will it take somebody to get seriously hurt before something is done? The last major fire at the site was in April, when residents said they wanted to move to escape the threat. A scheme to demolish the care home and build 14 three-storey houses with garaging on the ground floor was approved at the end of last year. Tim Edwards, Assistant Chief Fire Officer with Norfolk Fire and Rescue Service said, the fire was significant, but crews battled hard and quickly gained control reducing both the risk to the public and any damage to the surrounding environment. We will support the police-led investigation into this incident. And a man in his 20s has been arrested following the fire at the derelict care home. A spokesman for Norfolk Police has confirmed the arrest in connection with criminal damage and arson endangering life and fraud and forgery. The man was taken to Great Yarmouth Police Investigation Centre for questioning and has been released under investigation. Police ramp up efforts to protect Norfolk's wildlife habitats. Police are encouraging people on Norfolk's coast this summer to act responsibly around wildlife and are launching Operation Seabird. Operation Seabird will raise awareness of the importance of protecting and preserving the rich wildlife habitats and tackling disturbance to seals, seabirds and nesting birds. Officers will be out and about meeting visitors in specific locations across the county, 
including the beach on the Holcombe Estate, the Holme Dunes, Snettisham Beach to Heacham South Beach, Winterton and Horsey Beaches and Blakeney Point between the beginning of June and the end of August. Previous incidents along the coastline have included dogs off leads disturbing nesting birds or seals, wild campers lighting fires on the beach dunes and causing damage to the fauna, quad bikes or 4x4 vehicles riding over nesting areas and canoeists getting too close to seals. Chris Shelley, Norfolk Constabulary's Rural Crime Officer said, we're proud to be taking part in Operation Seabird this year and our focus will be on protecting our vulnerable ground nesting seabirds, ensuring the seals on our beaches are not disturbed and educating and encouraging visitors to be responsible and consider how their actions may affect our wildlife. We all have a duty to act responsibly and take extra care when we're out and about. While the focus of Operation Seabird is to engage, explain and educate visitors, we will act against anybody who damages and disrupts our wildlife and their habitats. RSPCA inspector Becky Harper added, This year we are expecting an upsurge in people who would normally go abroad for holidays during UK-based staycations. It should be remembered that our beautiful beach and coastal areas, which are fun for us to play in, are natural habitats and breeding grounds for many native and migratory animals, including several species on the endangered list. We humans share this space and we can easily and unwittingly cause disturbance, fear and distress. As tempting as it is to approach them, we would respectfully ask that all people are careful to maintain a good distance, don't try to get close enough to touch or take selfies, read signs, stick to paths and keep dogs on leads where instructed to do so, and keep dogs under control at all times. Hard as nails footballer who played for rival clubs in the FA Cup dies. He was a local footballing legend who played in FA Cup ties for both Galston and Great Yarmouth. Eric Kirk, who has died after a short illness, was unique on the coast, having lined out for both clubs in proper first round ties of the national competition. In 1951 he wore the green and white of Galston in their three-round contest against Leighton Orient, and two years later put on arch-rivals Great Yarmouth Town's amber and black strip in their famous 1-0 victory over Crystal Palace. Mr Kirk was born in Galston in 1930 to Walter and Mildred Kirk. A decade earlier, his father had played for Norwich City. He attended St Mary's Catholic School and Alderman Leach before leaving school at 14 years old and working on the petrol pumps at a garage in Galston. At 18, he was called up for national service and in the late 1940s was sent to Malaya where British forces were fighting pro-independence guerrillas. 
He'd started playing football before his stint in the military and on his return took up his boots again, having signed up for Galston. It wasn't long before he was playing in the epic tussle with Leighton Orient, which saw scorelines of two all in the first away leg and then a scoreless draw at the wreck before the London side won 5-4 in the deciding game at the neutral ground of Highbury. In 1953, he played for the Bloaters when they defeated Crystal Palace 1-0 in the FA Cup first round proper at Wellesley Road, watched by 8,944 fans. He later moved to Lowestoft FC before finally hanging up his boots in 1963. Mr Kirk also worked at Hartman's and then Birdseye. Meanwhile, in 1951, he married Pamela. After they exchanged vows, the bride joined him on the Galston team bus and Mr Kirk played football that afternoon, his new wife watching from the stands. In 1985, when Birdseye shut its factory in Yarmouth, he took redundancy. He went on to run a guest house with his wife on St Peter's Road, before retiring in 2001. His son, Andrew Kirk, said, I couldn't think of a better dad. He always supported me. When he played football, he was as hard as nails, he added. Mr Kirk died on May the 21st at Marine Court Care Home. He was 90 years old. Teen with Covid spat at police during one-man crime wave. A 19-year-old spat at police officers despite knowing he had tested positive for COVID-19 following a one-man crime wave which saw him steal a swathe of cars. Jamie Smith of Devonshire Road in Great Yarmouth appeared at Norwich Crown Court on Thursday, May the 27th after pleading guilty in March to offences including harassment, theft, assault and a number of driving offences. He was arrested in Rodney Road on January the 31st when he spat at four police officers knowing he had tested positive for coronavirus. Those officers were then forced to self-isolate as a result, Norfolk Police said. That came after officers stopped him while he was driving a stolen Ford Fiesta in South Quay earlier that day. Smith made off from police and managed to give them the slip, but the car was later found abandoned in Bethel Court. CCTV and witnesses later identified him as having driven through red lights and on the wrong side of the road. During the investigation, police discovered Smith had been involved in three other incidents of cars stolen in the Great Yarmouth area. He had also broken a restraining order on October the 22nd of last year. And on Boxing Day, Smith was driving a Nissan Almira in Devonshire Road when he became aggressive and deliberately crashed into a Ford Fiesta, causing its airbags to deploy. The 19-year-old was also disqualified from driving at the time. 
After Smith pleaded guilty to four counts of assaulting an emergency worker at a Norwich Crown Court hearing in March, recorder William Clegg QC said an immediate custodial sentence seemed inevitable. On May the 27th, he was sentenced to a total of two years and six months in a Young Offenders Institute and also banned from driving for the same amount of time. Inspector Paul McCarthy said the sentencing of Smith brings his one-man crime wave to an end. His driving and behaviour was completely unacceptable and it's pleasing to see the courts have dealt with him through a custodial sentence. I came across an article which brought back lots of memories of young childhood days when, as this article will tell you, 70 years on, when Norfolk celebrated the Festival of Britain. This was even before the Queen became the Queen. Princess Elizabeth she was then. It was the dawn of a new decade. The war had been over for six years. The country was looking forward, not back, and it was time to celebrate. The Festival of Britain was taking place in May and June of 1951 and Norwich was one of the cities chosen to hold its own festival beginning on June the 18th when it was opened by Princess Elizabeth from the balcony at City Hall. A huge crowd gathered and listened as she said, I'm very glad to be here today in this ancient and lovely city of Norwich. I have a great deal of affection for Norfolk, born out of many days amidst the peace of its countryside, and it gives me great pleasure to come now to its capital. When Norwich was chosen as one of the main centres of the Festival of the Arts, the city was paid a well-deserved compliment, for its place in the story of the arts of our country is in many ways unique. The Princess spoke of Crome and Cotman, the Norwich School, and the generosity of Russell Coleman giving his collection of works to the city. Although the fine arts are rightly given prominent place in your festival, there is much else besides, for there is sport and entertainment to suit all tastes. I'm especially glad to learn that among the great variety of events, the International Pavillon d'Or cruise, of which my husband is patron this year, will be sailing up the River Yare to visit the city, said the princess. It's the first visit to our shores, and I cannot imagine a better place to see England, for the yachtsman will see beauty, life and colour. If there is one spirit among others which they will find enthroned in Norwich, it is possibly the gay spirit of Elizabethan England. She added, I hope they will, for it is a very fine spirit, and it is in the hope that it will flourish here and bring happiness to all that I have much pleasure in declaring open your Norwich Festival. We described at the time how the scene in the market had seen no parallel since the King and Queen attended the opening of City Hall in 1938. 
Princess Elizabeth had arrived in Norwich by train and during her six-hour stay in the city opened the new Coleman Art Galleries at the Castle Museum, lunched with the Lord Mayor Eric Hind at the Assembly House, toured the cathedral and saw something of the city's silk and shoe industries. It was the Assembly House which became the Festival House, home to many events. That was the start of the celebrations, large and small, in the city and across the towns and villages of Norfolk. It really was party time, involving people of all ages and from all walks of life. They all came together to celebrate the Festival of Britain and a prosperous and peaceful future. Well, maybe you remember the celebrations in Norfolk at that time. I didn't live in Norfolk then, but what I can remember most was going on my first ever trip in an aeroplane. It must have been a very small aeroplane because this was from Heathrow, before Heathrow was anywhere near as big it is now, with my dad and my mum and my brother. And we flew over London, just over the festival centre. And I can remember that the price of that was five pounds, which seemed an awful lot in 1951. I wonder what you can remember about what went on in Norfolk then. The festival of Britain will always be as an evergreen in your memory. The festival of Britain will always be as an evergreen in your memory. After a hundred years passed and gone, it's on again 1951. So the whole world came in to see the invincible Great Britain is standing free. So it always be an England, an England shall be free. Well, the who's and what's of that particular piece are completely unknown to me, culled, uncredited from the internet. Maybe one of you know. More news now, and Disney starts with the weekly Covid Fest. The single most important step. Fresh plea over Covid vaccinations. Health bosses have stressed how important it is that Norfolk and Waveney people take up the offer of Covid vaccinations as uncertainty grows over whether the final easing of restrictions will happen on June the 21st. The rise of the Indian variant of coronavirus has prompted some scientists to question whether the government's final removal of COVID-19 restrictions later this month should be delayed. Norfolk's case rates remain below the national average, while there have been about 15 cases of the Indian variant in the county. But people in Norfolk have been urged to get the vaccine when offered to get tested twice a week, to keep social distancing and to remember that meeting up outdoors is safer than indoors. Diane Steiner, Norfolk's Deputy Director of Public Health, said In Norfolk, our numbers remain below the national average and we maintain a robust response to cases and outbreaks in order to try and keep those numbers as low as possible. However, we still need the continued efforts of people in Norfolk 
to help keep the numbers down. We cannot afford to be complacent, even as we enjoy increasing freedoms as lockdown eases. Half of people aged 16 or over in Norfolk have had both jabs and 76% have had their first dose. And Tracy Williams, a Queen's nurse and NHS Norfolk and Waveney Clinical Commissioning Group Clinical Governing Body member, said, Our vaccination teams are working incredibly hard to protect patients from COVID-19 and we would like to thank all our partners for doing such an incredible job. Getting the vaccine is the single most important step we can take to protect ourselves, our families and our communities against the virus, with the jabs saving thousands of lives already. Please don't delay. If you are eligible for a vaccine, visit www.nhs.uk forward slash covid hyphen vaccination or call 119 to get booked in. The offer of a vaccine doesn't expire, so if you are eligible and haven't booked, please do come forward when you're invited to. A single dose of the vaccine provides a good level of protection from COVID-19, but the second dose is important to ensure lasting protection, which is why it is vital that everyone gets both doses of the vaccine as soon as they are offered to them. Roving teams from the CCG are visiting sites across Norfolk and Waveney, vaccinating people in areas where vaccine uptake has been lower than average or where virus transmission rates remain high. Vaccination teams have also been working with homeless charities and organisations to ensure people who are homeless are offered and receive their first and second doses. What does the Norfolk data tell us about COVID easing on June the 21st? Experts are divided over whether the government should push ahead with its roadmap to lift all coronavirus restrictions on June the 21st. So what is the current situation nationally and in Norfolk? Two important points to bear in mind are that the government's decision will be based on national not local data and that it will be based on the latest information available in the run-up to that date. The government has said that at each step of easing restrictions the assessment will be based on four tests. One, the vaccine deployment programme continues successfully. Statistics for Norfolk and Waveney are impressive with the NHS providing more than a million vaccination doses so far. Weekly data published by NHS England and NHS Improvement last Thursday showed that 76% of people aged 16 or over had received their first jab, compared to 70% in England. That ranked Norfolk and Waveney as third out of 42 health and care systems in England and some 50% of people aged 16 or over in Norfolk and Waveney had received both vaccinations compared to 43% in England. 
More recent figures published on Monday, May the 31st, not broken down county by county, show that across the UK as a whole, almost three quarters, that's 74.8% of the adult population, has had their first COVID jab, with almost half, 48.5%, having had their second. The second test, number two, Evidence shows vaccines are sufficiently effective in reducing hospitalisations and deaths in those vaccinated. As of Tuesday, May the 25th, the latest available figures, there were five patients who had tested positive for COVID-19 in Norfolk's hospitals. A year ago, that figure was at 108 and during the peak of the second wave in December and January, there were days when there were more than 800 cases in Norfolk. Nationally, between May the 24th and the 30th, there were 60 deaths reported within 28 days of a positive coronavirus test, an increase of 42.9 compared with the previous seven days. A further death was reported on Monday, May the 31st. No deaths within 28 days of positive COVID testing were reported on Tuesday, the first time that that has happened since July the 30th last year. The third test, that infection rates do not risk a surge in hospitalisations which would put unsustainable pressure on the NHS. Coronavirus case rates for England stood at 27.2 cases per 100,000 people in the seven days up to Wednesday, May the 26th. That was an increase of 23% on the previous seven days. Norfolk remains below the national average with 13.8 cases per 100,000 people in the seven days up to May the 26th. However, that rate has gone up by 41% on the previous week. The rate was 9.8 cases per 100,000 people in the seven days up to Wednesday, May the 19th. But the low numbers in Norfolk overall mean just a handful of cases can mean large percentage changes. Great Yarmouth was down 57% from seven cases per 100,000 to just three the seventh lowest case rate in England. Test number four, assessment of the risks is not fundamentally changed by new variants of concern. The emergence of the Indian or B1617.2 strain of the virus is one of the prime reasons why some scientists are calling for a delay in the June 21st further easing of restrictions. It's thought to be more transmissible than the Kent variant and is causing the majority of infections in hot spots such as Bedford, Bolton, Blackburn, Chelmsford and Canterbury. In the seven days up to Saturday, May the 22nd, 8,250 of England's 13,170 COVID-19 cases were caused by the Indian variant, a total of 63%. 
That was up on the 3,867 cases over the previous seven days when the Indian variant was behind 33% of the total 11,755 cases. Cases have been identified in Breckland, South Norfolk, Kingsland and West Norfolk and Broadland. The Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine is 88% effective against that variant after two doses and the AstraZeneca jab is 60% effective, a study by Public Health England found. However, they were only 33% effective three weeks after the first jab. Delay is likely. Norfolk experts fears over June the 21st COVID easing. An expert in infectious diseases at the University of East Anglia believes it is now likely that the government will delay the full easing of COVID restrictions on June the 21st. And Professor Paul Hunter, Professor in Medicine at the UEA in Norwich, said he believed the country was now in the third wave of COVID-19 infections. Experts are divided over whether Prime Minister Boris Johnson should press ahead with the final stage of easing social restrictions on June the 21st, amid a surge in cases of the new variant first identified in India. Professor Adam Finn of the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation and Professor Ravi Gupta, a member of the New and Emerging Respiratory Virus Threats Advisory Group, NERVTAG, have both suggested the government should delay. And Professor Hunter said, I think a delay is now likely, but my personal view is that it is not absolutely definite. There's been a lot of positive news around vaccination rates, and there's still very good evidence that people are less likely to develop severe illness if they have been vaccinated, particularly with two doses but I fear that might not be enough to protect the health services and I think we will see a delay to step four. There is uncertainty about how that will play out in the weeks ahead, but cases of the Indian variant have been doubling each seven to ten days since the start of April. That's offset to a degree by the fall in the Kent variant cases. But looking at the age breakdown of cases, the worrying thing is that over the past few days, the case numbers have started to go up across all age groups. And that, I suspect, is going to mean the delay. Even in the over 80s, there's been a 13% increase. Although vaccination does reduce the chances of getting severely ill, it does not stop coronavirus completely. Professor Hunter said the data over the next couple of weeks would be crucial and that he hoped to be proven wrong on his prediction that the government would delay. He said, a week ago I was thinking that maybe it would still be okay for June the 21st, but now I'm more cautious. He said that he had no doubt that the UK was now in the midst of the third wave of coronavirus. He said the only uncertainty is how big it will get and what impact that will have on the health service. And Professor Hunter said it was crucial that people who were invited to get vaccines took up the offer. He said, 
we cannot rely on herd immunity. That is just not going to happen. People might think that they're a bit nervous about the vaccine, but that everyone else is getting it so they don't need to, as they won't catch the virus. They're wrong. If you don't get immunised, you're not protected. The more people who are vaccinated, the less transmission there will be and the fewer control measures there will need to be. If you want British society to get back to normal, then get the vaccine. The more people who don't, the more difficult that makes it. On Tuesday, for the first time since July the 30th last year, no deaths within 28 days of testing positive for COVID-19 were reported. But as of 9am on Tuesday, there had been a further 3,165 lab-confirmed cases in the UK. Professor Gupta said a delay of a few weeks would be a temporary measure based on recent events, chiefly the emergence of the Indian or B1617.2 strain of the virus. He said, even a month delay could have a big impact on the eventual outcome of this. As long as it's clear to people that this is not an unlimited extension of the lockdown, but actually just a reassessment, that would be realistic. But Professor Dingwall, Professor of Sociology at Nottingham Trent University, said it was important to press ahead with the June the 21st easing from a societal point of view. He told Times Radio, I personally don't see any case for delay from a societal point of view. I think it's really important that we go ahead on June the 21st and I've not really seen anything in the data that would lead me to doubt that as a proposition on the evidence to date. We've got to look at the collateral damage in terms of untreated cancers, untreated heart conditions, all of the other things that people suffer from. We've got to think about the impact of economic damage that would be caused by further periods of delay and uncertainty. Asked about the Prime Minister's plans amid warnings over the spread of the Indian variant, a number 10 spokesman said, I was going to point to what the PM said on Thursday. The Prime Minister has said on a number of occasions that we haven't seen anything in the data, but we will continue to look at the data. We will continue to look at the latest scientific evidence as we move through June towards June the 21st. Lorry driver caught carrying 18 tonnes of unsecured concrete blocks. 18 tonnes of unsecured concrete blocks were found on the back of a lorry in Norfolk days after a shocking video of blocks falling onto a Tesla. Officers from the Norfolk and Suffolk Roads and Armed Policing Team found the lorry in Great Yarmouth on Tuesday morning. It was carrying 18 concrete blocks weighing a tonne each, with no measures to secure them on the trailer, according to an NRAPT tweet. It comes after dash cam footage captured the moment a brand new £50,000 Tesla was wrecked by a pallet of concrete bricks which fell off the side of another lorry in Western Longville. Neil Collins and his wife miraculously escaped serious injury. 
and suffered only minor cuts and bruises, but the month-old performance car was written off. Petition calls for wheelchair walkways across beaches. A petition calling for accessible walkways for Galston Beach has collected more than 350 signatures. The path, most likely a mat made of plastic, would be placed over the sand and allow wheelchair users access all the way to the water. Jan Horton, who organised the petition, said, I see so many people struggling on that beach. It's needed so badly by loads of people, and I mean loads. It means a lot for people to actually sit by the sea, she added. In a statement, Great Yarmouth Borough Council said it has undertaken initial research into possible options for such a walkway. The idea is being explored with councillors as part of developing the wider Galston Seafront Master Plan, which we hope will help inform future decisions and guide and support investment in that area. The council also said that in the meantime, two special beach wheelchairs with large pneumatic wheels will be available for use this summer on the sand, free of charge at Great Yarmouth and Galston. The precise higher locations are yet to be announced. Volunteers wanted to be locked up in a Norfolk police cell. As lockdown restrictions begin to lift and people start to enjoy a taste of freedom, volunteers are needed to willingly spend more time locked up. People are needed to visit Norfolk's custody facilities to check on the welfare of those detained by police and the conditions in which they are held for the county's independent custody visitors, ICVs, scheme. ICVs play a crucial role in safeguarding those who find themselves in custody. The police offering public reassurance that the authorities are treating people with fairness and respect. Applications are being invited from individuals interested in joining the custody visiting panels in Kings Lynn, Great Yarmouth, Aylsham or Wyndham. To apply, you must be over 18, live in Norfolk and have lived in the UK for more than three years. For more information, please visit the Norfolk PCC website at www.norfolk-pcc.gov.uk So, what have we been watching on television this week? Well, you may have been watching The Masked Dancer as opposed to The Masked Singer. It's the semi-final tonight, Friday, and the final tomorrow, Saturday. And last night, Thursday, we saw Christopher Dean of Torville and Dean fame unmasked from his disguise as Beagle. No one on the panel had guessed him, though a couple of mentions had been made of Zoe Ball, who was also unmasked as Llama. Now we're left with uh, Zip, Knickerbocker Glory, Car Wash, Frog, Squirrel and Scarecrow 
to fight it out for the top spot. The pick of the weekend, this Sunday the BBC hosts the BAFTA TV Awards from 7pm to 9pm and then that's followed at 9pm by a new three-part prison drama called Time which stars Sean Bean and Stephen Graham who was in the last series of Line of Duty and this um, programme is written by Jimmy McGovern who's won lots of awards for his writing. It follows the traumatic experience of a newly arrived prisoner who is about to start a four-year sentence for accidentally killing a man. He's lived a fairly normal life where nothing much happened until he suddenly finds himself here in prison with a frightening bunch of inmates, many of whom are aggressive or disturbed. Oh, that's a, a nice, uh, happy thought. There's another nice, happy thought. Are you a fan of sport? Because if you're not, unfortunately, this week sees the start of a summer of high-powered sports events. The Euros start this week. That's the football Euros. I hope some of you at least are sports fans because there's going to be a lot of it about. Some spectators will be allowed at the Euros, but no stadiums will be more than half full and most will be much less than that, probably about 25%. The Euros are on for a month, from Sunday the 13th of June to Sunday the 11th of July. That's the finals day. Sunday the 13th of June is when England plays their first match against Croatia. Wimbledon follows on its heels. In fact, the last two weeks will have on ITV, the Euros, and on the BBC, Wimbledon. That's from June the 28th, finishing on the day of the final of the Euros. So you'll have Wimbledon finals in the afternoon and football finals in the evening. So if you want to avoid them, you know what to do. There's a bit of a break then until the Olympics start on the 23rd of July in Tokyo. There'll be no tickets for spectators from abroad and Covid is still making things uncertain. It's not really known for sure how many um, of the local people will be allowed in. Many Japanese people are still not convinced that the Games should take place at all. But with around uh, seven weeks to go, the arguments will probably carry on for a while yet. Uh, the big chief of the organisation of, of the uh, Olympics in Japan has said today that they will definitely 100% go ahead. But whether or not spectators will be there, well, that's the thing they'll still have plenty of time to argue about. I hope you find something that you like on the television this week. And I hope that if you don't like sport, you can find plenty of other channels with other things on to interest you.
full version of the Match of the Day theme, which seemed marginally appropriate for Disney's telly-tittle-tattle this time. (laughs) A little ration of alliteration for you there. But quickly on to your third and last ration of news for the week. Arrest after man with gun hoax on busy seafront. A man in his 30s has been arrested for wasting police time amid reports of a man with a gun on Great Yarmouth's seafront. Police were called at 6.53pm on Wednesday, June the 2nd to Marine Parade where a man was suspected of being in possession of a firearm and three people were said to have been assaulted. Firearms officers were deployed but after some work at the scene, the report was found to be false. No assault victims or weapons were found. A spokesman said a man in his 30s was arrested at the scene on suspicion of wasting police time. He has been released under investigation while inquiries continue. People at the scene reported a large police presence and officers with dogs, which sparked some alarm. Wonderland bid for former Seafront Museum A bid to return a former heritage attraction to amusement arcade use is in the hands of planners. Part of Yesterday's World on Great Yarmouth's Golden Mile has already been taken up by the Gold Rush Arcade following its closure in November 2014. The remaining portion was last used as a restaurant, but a new application would see it wholly return to its arcade roots as the site of the former Barron's Entertainment Centre, a name synonymous with seafront fun for over 100 years. Pictures submitted with the application show it rebranded as Wonderland announced with purple and yellow signage and a scrolling digital advert. A statement submitted by Brundle-based chartered surveyor C.W. Johnson says the site has been prominent in the history of the Golden Mile, as Barons, since 1896, and then the walk-through heritage attraction Yesterday's World. The papers argue there is a clear precedent for its return to arcade use. The site is between the Caesars Palace and Gold Rush Arcades in the former Hokum Hotel, converted amid controversy in 1998. At the time, it was argued the bright lights of arcades created a scene like Las Vegas, which was a draw for tourists. On the other hand, it was said the number of arcades was ruining the seafront and adding more tat. The new application for Wonderland notes the proliferation of arcades had decreased in recent years as space was given over to retail and restaurant use. The new arcade will create two full-time jobs. Suggested opening hours are 9am to 11pm seven days a week. Yesterday's World was an indoor heritage attraction that was hailed as a boost to the seafront. However, 
Its former manager, Ian Dickinson, writing to the council in 2016 in response to the Gold Rush expansion bid, said after a successful first few years, visitor numbers declined dramatically. He said it was a great concept tracing social history, but that it hadn't worked in Yarmouth. Visitors said it wasn't good value for money and that they wouldn't return and the contents were sold off at auction. Burst Pipe closes road in Great Yarmouth area. Road closures have been put in place following a burst water pipe. Police are assisting with the road closures on Mill Road Borough Castle, while Essex and Suffolk Water repairs a burst pipe. Fire services were also on the scene earlier this morning with an appliance from Galston. On Norfolk's fire log it said one appliance from Galston attended flooding caused by a burst water main on Mill Road. The crew removed water from a property and handed over to the water board. Drivers are being asked to avoid the area. In a tweet, Norfolk Police wrote, Great Yarmouth Police are assisting with the road closures at Mill Lane Borough Castle, whilst the water company deal with a burst pipe. Please find an alternative route. First Norwich's number five service is currently unable to reach Cherry Tree Holiday Park due to the burst water pipe. Club that helps lonely and bereaved returns after lockdown. A popular coffee and chat club is welcoming back old and new members. Golden Threads has been running at St George's Theatre Cafe in Great Yarmouth since 2014, but it has taken a break due to the lockdowns over the past year. Now that people are allowed to meet inside, Golden Threads is returning. I would really like to get some new members, Golden Threads organiser Gloria G said, although after the past year loneliness is something we don't have to live with. Gloria put together the group sessions after becoming a widow in January 2014. I was really lost and really lonely, Mrs G, 81, said. I decided to run a coffee morning so I could meet people again and, quite quickly, I felt like me again. The sessions will be running every other Wednesday from next week, June the 9th, between 1.30 and 3.30pm at St George's Theatre Café. Great Yarmouth Bridge to close for two nights for upgrade works. Haven Bridge will have a temporary road closure overnight on Wednesday June the 9th and Thursday June the 10th to allow the old barriers to be removed. This comes as part of mechanical and electrical upgrade works currently underway. To minimise the disruption, the road closures will be overnight from 7pm to 6am. Traffic will be diverted via the B1141 North Quay, the A149 Acle New Road, the A12 via Braden Bridge and the A1243 Pasta Road. 
pedestrian access will be maintained across the bridge at all times. Tributes for exceptional doctor who set up pain clinic on the coast. Tributes have been paid to an exceptional doctor who helped set up a pain clinic on the coast. Dr William Notcutt died on Monday May the 31st at the James Paget Hospital in Galston, where he had worked for 36 years, specialising in acute and chronic pain management, palliative care and teaching. He was most well known for setting up the hospital's pain clinic and also his work researching the benefits of medicinal cannabis. Dr Notcutt was born in Ipswich in 1946. After graduating from school, he studied medicine at Birmingham University. From there, in the 1970s, his adventurous spirit took him to Lesotho, a country in southern Africa where he volunteered as a flying doctor. Later, he moved to Kingston, capital city of Jamaica, working at the University Hospital of the West Indies. It was there he met his future wife, Nove, a nurse. They would go on to have three daughters, Tamara, Holly Kim and Misha. In 1982, after a brief stint living in Nottingham, the family moved to Galston, where Dr Notcutt began work as a consultant anaesthetist at the James Paget. He developed the hospital's pain clinic and was involved in various research projects, including the use of cannabis for pain relief particularly for people with MS. From 1997, he was also an honorary senior lecturer at the UEA. While he part retired from clinical practice in 2014, he continued to support the James Paget team and was widely known and respected for his friendly smile, wisdom and breadth of experience. James Paget Medical Director, Dr Hazel Stewart, said, It's so sad for the world to lose such a wonderful, compassionate person whose combination of expertise and calmness made him an exceptional doctor and such a fantastic colleague. We are thinking of his family at this time. Dr Notcutt also loved reading science fiction and listening to music from all over the world. His daughter Holly Kim said he was very positive and glass half full, but also very philosophical and mindful. He was very open, very compassionate. No matter who you were, he would make time to listen to you. He was survived by his wife, daughters, grandson Zavi and brother Jeff. And another sad death, she will be part missed tributes to a much-loved former mayor. The Great Yarmouth flag has been flying at half-mast after the death of a much-loved former mayor. Shirley Weymouth, who represented the former Somerton ward, now East Flegg, died on Friday, May the 28th, at her home in Caister. She was 78 years old. Mrs Weymouth was a councillor from 2000 until her retirement in 2018. Carl Smith, leader of Great Yarmouth Borough Council, 
worked alongside Mrs Weymouth on the Environmental Committee. Mr Smith said, It's a sad day. She really stood up for the villages outside of the town. She was passionate about preserving the countryside so people can enjoy it, which she did with her dogs who were her pride and joy. It's a sad loss to all of her friends and old colleagues. She gave 18 years of service for the borough and she will be missed. Councillor for Mrs Weymouth's former ward, East Flegg, James Bensley, said, My thoughts are with her family and friends at this very sad time. I will be personally forever grateful to Shirley, as she started me on my path of being a local councillor at Hemsby Parish Council. Then she gave me the role of being her mayor's consort for part of her very special year. She always fought hard for the northern parishes and was a force to debate with, a very big presence in committee meetings, and she was always helping the residents of Hemsby, from beach cleaning to the Poorlands Trust. She will be missed by us all. Trevor Wainwright, leader of the Borough Council's Labour Group, said, I was very sad to hear of Shirley's passing. Shirley was a political opponent but also a good friend. She always lent her assistance if required, and she was a great community champion. It is very sad news. Mr Wainwright passed on his condolences to Mrs Weymouth's family. Families enjoy return of Seafront Fun Park. A patch of land on Galston Seafront has come to life again with the return of merry-go-rounds and trampolines. Families were enjoying the half-term sunshine on Wednesday, June the 2nd at Pops Meadow Play Area more than three years after the site was last occupied. Over the years, the field, sandwiched between Pavilion Road and Beach Road, has hosted various low-key leisure activities including crazy golf and rides for young children. But in recent years, it had fallen into disuse and the future of the site was left uncertain. That was until a vote last September at Great Yarmouth Borough Council, which saw the land retained for community use for 25 years, with local couple Lewis and Sharice Gray buying the plot and transforming it again into a children's fun park. Mr Gray said he was over the moon. The site was up for tender at the council and I was lucky enough to attend. I put in a bid with the council to use the place as a children's play area, he said. The couple received the keys in January this year and since then they have been bringing in fairground rides, erecting a new fence around the perimeter and refurbishing the cafe. Mr Gray said his wife comes from a family with a fairground background while he was brought up in Newport where he was calling bingo since the age of 12. It's always been in the family, he said. He also said there are plans to add a crazy golf course. Hannah Totterington, who lives near the site, said it's good for the area and it's great for the kids. It's something for them to do. Emma Bland who works at the James Paget Hospital and was visiting the park with her family, said, It's lovely. They've been really good to my son, who has additional needs. 
he has cerebral palsy. They've been amazing with him, helping him on the rides and everything, making sure he's safe getting on and off. It's really good for the kids, she added. The park is currently open every day from approximately 10am to 7pm and the cafe will be open year-round. Visitors buy tokens which can then be exchanged to use on the rides. Well, that's all from this edition of Grapevine. The recording is copyright 2021 of the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association. The news content is adapted mainly from the publications of Archant Limited and is used with their consent. However, the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association accept responsibility for editorial decisions made for this recording. Next week's newsreader will be Margaret, and we hope that we can look forward to welcoming you again for much more of your local news. In the meantime, from all at Grapevine, stay safe and well, and let's hope that June busts out all over with some nice warm weather. From all at Grapevine, until next week, it's bye for now. Bye for now.